Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I want to do something big and something important. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end? I believe God made me for a purpose. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. guys, welcome back, and welcome to a special Wednesday episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. I had a conversation with uh, my wife the other day, and I thought, you know, I think this would be a great episode just to sit down and record some thoughts and try to, uh, try to encourage some guys out there who, like myself, are pastoring small churches. Uh, we're not in the megachurch uh, arena. Maybe we don't even want to be, but there's just something nagging at the back of our minds that if our church could just be more of X, then we could really see God do something. In essence, if our church could just be more like the ideal church, or if we could just do this one thing, that would be the ideal church. Well, we're never going to pastor an ideal church, and that's okay. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes on this episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. I hope you'll stick with me. So back in 2007, I had the opportunity to travel outside of the country and go and speak at a youth camp in the Philippines. I was going to be there for nine days. It was the first time that I had ever been out of the country in my life. I was, how old was I? I was 27. I was 27 years old, and it was the first time that I was ever going to be out of, uh, out of the country. I had to get my passport, and myself and one of my deacons, who had also never traveled outside of the country, made a harrowing journey through airports and international connections, not knowing what we were doing, and somehow arrived in the Philippines after 36 hours of travel. It was exhausting. And I was thrust unaware into a brand new ecosystem and a whole different way of doing church. And I came face to face with how church is done in the Philippines, and it was completely different. Now, we weren't working with an American missionary. We were working with a national pastor, and that makes a difference because this wasn't an Americanized Philippine uh, church. It was, it was a Filipino church. 
And I saw things that I just fell in love with, like the emphasis on fellowship, and people would be coming by the church all the time. They just wanted to hang out there. The young people had such a desire for the Lord, and they, they, uh, they loved music, they loved to sing, they loved to be involved. And I couldn't get over the feeling that this is the ideal. This is what we've been missing. This is what I need to get my church back in the States to be like. If, I could, if we could be more like this, then that would be awesome, you know? And I remember coming back home and being utterly dissatisfied with my church back in the States. I mean, the church in the Philippines, they barely had electricity. They didn't have air conditioning. And they, they, they walked for an hour to get to church and crammed in in the heat and sweating. And back in the States, people would complain if the temperature of the, of the, of the sanctuary was two degrees off one way or another. And you know, all those things. Can't get young people to sing and blah, 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 blah. I just, I really struggled with it. And it happened for the for a couple of years, you know, I would, I, would, I would get back into the groove and then I would go back to the Philippines again and I would come back and, and struggle with it again. I finally realized that the church in North Carolina was never going to be the church in the Philippines for a variety of reasons. But I knew that if I could not be satisfied with the church in the Philippines, or excuse me, with the church in North Carolina and I wanted them to be like the church in the Philippines, I was always going to be discouraged because they were never going to be that. They were different people, a different culture, different environment. Everything was different. But as I kept going year after year to the Philippines, you know what I found out? The closer I got and the more I got to know, I found out that the churches in the Philippines had problems too. They had issues too. They weren't perfect. And there were probably things about those churches that would drive me insane. I met American missionaries in the Philippines who struggled and were discouraged because of cultural differences and the way that uh, the Filipino mind processed things, and it, and it frustrated them. And you know what I realized? It wasn't as ideal as I thought it was. And I realized that there is no <laughs> ideal church. I'm never going to pastor an ideal church. And that's okay. But I had... Over, over, you know, 16 years of pastoral ministry now, I have had an idea of what an ideal church is. And somehow, I just couldn't get there. I mean, you guys know, right? I mean, there have been times, hasn't there, when you just thought, man, if, if I could just have X number of people, or if we could have this ministry, or if the people that I serve could just do more of this, you know, or if we could be involved in that ministry, man, we, that would be the ideal church. We would have it. We would be it. And somehow, somehow we just can't ever really get there. Over the last several years, I've talked to a lot of pastors. God has given me the privilege of, um, of being a listener. And I have a lot of pastors that, that I talk to. And by a lot, I don't mean like dozens and hundreds and stuff, but probably right now I would say there are six to seven pastors that I talk to on a fairly regular basis just to chat, just to encourage. Um, and God has, uh, God has opened that door of ministry. It's something that I want to pursue. It's the reason I started this podcast, to try to encourage other pastors but I've talked to a lot of pastors over the last several years, and some of them have been struggling in the same way that I have struggled. 
And very often, the struggle is because our churches just can't seem to reach that ideal condition. Now, the term ideal church, it, it means different things, obviously, to different people. But the term ideal itself, um, according to one online dictionary, means a thing that is regarded as a standard or model of perfection or excellence. What's the definition? A thing that is regarded as the model or standard of perfection or excellence. But here's the thing, guys. Ideal anything, ideal anythings don't exist in this life. Only God is the absolute ideal. He's the absolute standard of perfection. But even God isn't the ideal for some people. In a fallen world, right, which we're in, in a fallen world with broken people and imperfect systems, the ideal will forever be a concept, but not a reality. I, th I think on one level, um, the desire for the ideal is created by a shadow of longing that's in the human heart for what was lost in the, gar in the Garden of Eden. Uh, paradise lost, if you will. We know there's something better, but we just can't. And, and, we, and we have a shadow, an impression in our mind of what that would be, but we just can't really reach it. But we desperately want to give the impression, one, that we have reached it, or two, that it is possible to reach that standard of perfection. And yet, it always, we always seem to come short. Obviously, in our own lives, we recognize and we preach to people, for all have sinned and come short of the ideal, come short of the glory of God. We know things aren't right, but we keep reaching for it. Now, our society has capitalized on this idea, you know, with their marketing of everything from the ideal car to the ideal woman to the ideal man to the ideal hamburger. But reality never lives up to that, does it? It never lives up to the ideal. In case you wonder if the ideal ever, or the reality ever lives up to the ideal, just go order a burger from your local fast food place and compare it to the picture on the, ver on the menu. We are so blatant about how the reality doesn't live up to the ideal that they will hand you a burger which looks nothing like the burger in the picture 10 feet from where you ordered. Because here's the ideal, and the ideal gets you to, to order the burger, but the burger is never going to live up to the ideal. But hey, order again, and maybe the next burger will be more ideal. Um, you know, the ideal can even be insinuated, and imperfections can be hidden for a time, but the reality is going to rear its ugly head. This happens in dating relationships, right? We try very hard to hide our imperfections and give the impression that we are the ideal perspective spouse. But anybody who's been married for a while knows that the reality seldom lives up to the ideal, seldom lives up to the standard of perfection. And many marriages dissolve because someone mistakenly thought that a perfect spouse, a perfect person was possible, even though 
we never give the same level of importance to our own failures as we do the failures of the person we expected to be ideal. This happens in a church. You know, in a lot of churches, um, unless you're in a denomination where you are placed in your church by, uh, by your denominational headquarters, in, in my arena, in the Baptist world, that, that generally doesn't happen. Um, but uh, a church will reach out. There's a, a search committee. There's a, a pulpit committee, and they interview a pastor, and the pastor comes in, and he preaches for a little while, and the people decide on the basis of a couple of sermons in two or three days whether they want to bring this person in to shepherd their lives spiritually, which when you think about it is utterly terrifying that we make decisions that way. But we do, and uh, that's how I got here. And uh, there's no way no way possible that we can really see the underbelly of the beast, if you will, um, in just a few short days. I preached the best messages that I have. I was on my best behavior. I made sure my kids were on their best behavior. The church was on its best behavior. We put our best foot forward. We put our unpaid bills in the drawer, and we kept um, the weird Uncle Harry um, out of church that day. But sooner or later, reality rears its ugly head. Most people who get married wake up at some, some point after they were married and ask themselves, what have I done? Because they realize they have married someone who isn't ideal. And guess what? Your spouse has probably had that same thought, probably earlier than you did. I know in my wife's case that was. So the reality can be insinuated it can, and, and, and imperfections can be hidden for a time, but soon reality is going to rear its ugly head. Now, if the ideal, if the perfect is the only acceptable option for us, then we are doomed to disappointment. We will go from one diet to the next, from one car to the next, from one marriage to the next, from one relationship to the next, from one church to the next, all the time seeking the ideal and being disappointed time after time after time. Now, a lot of times, again, we only focus on the ideal only as it relates to the other person. So men focus on the ideal woman with the ideal proportions and the ideal passion and all this kind of stuff, but they ignore their own waistline. You know, the reason that you don't marry a woman that looks like the ideal woman to you is because you don't look like the kind of guy that that ideal woman marries in an ideal world. Your pot belly is not attractive. No matter how much we suck in and uh, stand uh, at a certain angle and convince ourselves that the rolls of fat on our stomach are actually washboard abs starting to peek out, the truth of the matter is, we are not an ideal man. And the ideal woman doesn't exist. But we wish that we could have that ideal woman without even ourselves attempting to be the ideal man. Because the ideal is, is, is a myth. It's a shadow. It's not real. You know... Sometimes I see, I want to say this carefully because I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be offensive, but I see this so often on social media where, and it's usually women who post this kind of thing, they have an ideal relationship in their mind and they post about what the ideal man would be and 
you know, the post could be something like, you know, the ideal man doesn't care about your your waistline or your stretch marks uh, or, you know, uh, your muffin top. He just loves you just the way you are and, and is passionate and blah, 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 blah. You know, you've, you've read those things. But those posts almost always come along with some kind of graphic or illustration in which there is a man and a woman and the man is muscular and cut and fit and has forearm muscles that are that are bulging as they wrap around this woman who is perfectly proportioned and looks like the quote ideal woman and i i always shake my head because in many cases i know these women and they don't look like the ideal woman because most women don't look like the ideal woman because the ideal doesn't exist But even in a post in which they say men shouldn't care about the way a woman looks, the picture they post of of a woman in in those posts are a a picture of a woman that looks the way men wish women would look. I mean, it's it's hard to get away from the ideal. And, you know, no, post, why don't you post a picture of an overweight woman? Why is it this trim, uh, fit, um, you know, X-shaped, body-styled woman? I, I, I just, because the ideal... The ideal is hard to escape from, but all of us are chasing it, thinking that if we could just get it, we would be happy. And we're never happy because the ideal doesn't exist, and it keeps us from being satisfied with with what we do have. Now, often we consider ourselves ideal, or at least closer to the ideal, and blame the rest of the world for not being ideal. And there, this is no different for our churches. Now, we're going to bring this into to churches here. This is one of the problems, guys, I think, this is my opinion, this is one of the problems, I think, with the idea that if we could just get back to the first century church in America, right? You hear this. If, if, if the American church could just get back to the first century church, the problem is there wasn't a first century church in America. The first century church was in the Middle East with a completely different culture and ecosystem than the United States of America. It is a myth. If you think you're going to get the church in America to look like the first century church in, uh, in, the, in the ancient Middle East and first century Middle East culture, you're going to be so disappointed because American culture is never going to be like the, the the first century church was a makeup of the culture and the behaviors ingrained in that culture, and then the biblical teaching, um, you know, was was mixed into that. We don't have that culture. We're never going to be that. And who told you? Who told me that we were supposed to somehow? Um, be like the first century Middle Eastern church in 21st century America. This is why you've got guys who are saying, you know, don't go into buildings, uh, be in houses, you know, as if somehow there's something magical about houses. Hey, great, have church in your house or have church in a building. Don't, don't mistake the, uh, the method for What's more important? It doesn't matter whether a a church is in a building or in a house or under a tree. But again, we're looking for the ideal because we know somehow, and somehow our church is just not the ideal that it's supposed to be. So doggone it, I know what we need to do. We need to be more like that first century church. Guys, 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 have you read the New Testament? Have you really read about the problems that the first century church 
had. You don't want to be like the first century church. You want to be like the first century church was supposed to be, but failed to be. It's an ideal that you're chasing. It's not a reality. But I believe that the ideal should exist in our minds as a standard maybe to continue reaching for and measuring ourselves by, but not to make us dissatisfied, but to constantly be like, I'd like to strive a little bit more towards the ideal. God oftentimes gives us the ideal in scripture while recognizing we're never going to reach it. It's just something to reach for to keep us from getting complacent. But that search for the ideal shouldn't cause us to jump from one arena to the next, thinking that we're going to find the ideal church. So, if I can't pastor the ideal church, what can I do? Well, first, I think I can accept the people that God has brought me to, and I can love them with all of my heart. And that's challenging. But I want you to sit and think about the church that God has called you to. I don't care whether you have 200 or three in your Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting, assuming you have one. Maybe you don't. But the next service you have, I want you to look out at the people who willingly and freely came to sit in a pew or a chair or on a couch in your living room and listen to you teach the Word of God. And I want you to say, these people are not ideal, neither am I, but I am so thankful that God has given me to this church. And I'm going to love the fire out of these people. And I'm going to challenge us to reach and to strive and to grow, but I'm just going to love them, not because they're ideal, but because God has sent me to them. Next, I can lovingly work to bring us closer to the ideal, but never allow the ideal to stand between me and the people that God has led me to. And this is, this is key. This is so important. I always, you know, Paul told the church, you know, as you have loved, love more and more. As you've obeyed in my presence, so also in my absence. He was always challenging the churches to do better, to be more for Christ, to grow, to strive, to reach. But over and over, Paul said to those churches, I love you. I pray for you. I thank God for you. He said that to the church at Corinth, that messed up church that he loved desperately. He said that to Philippi. He said that to Ephesus. He said that to Colossae. He, and he taught that to, to the men and ladies who worked with him. We're reaching for an ideal, but you don't have to be ideal in order for me to love you. You know, you guys out there pastor different than I do. We're not, we're not exactly the same. None of us are ideal. That's why I call this the, this Poor Pastors Podcast. I realize I am not an ideal pastor. There is no ideal pastor. The best pastor is the one who stands up on Sunday and loves his people and feeds them faithfully the word of God and does his best knowing that, hey, We're not ideal, but we're growing. So, I can lovingly work to bring us closer to the ideal, but never allow the ideal to stand between me and the people God has led me to. 
I don't want to be guilty of fantasizing in the ministry. You know, what would, what would, what would our wives think if we pretended to love them while looking at pornography and secretly fantasizing about the ideal woman? Is that a healthy marriage? Of course not. Well, pastors, let's, let's be sure that we're not guilty of pretending or appearing to love our churches, but secretly fantasizing about the ideal church that we know our church will never be. Let's fall in love with the people God has given to us and serve them faithfully. I don't want to be guilty of fantasizing in the ministry and being emotionally unfaithful to the people that I'm serving. So, number three, I can stop beating people to death with guilt over not living up to the ideal. None of us live up to the ideal. We're striving, we're reaching, we're growing. But I love you because of who you are. And that doesn't mean I that I don't want to see us do better. It just means... This is the love of God, right? Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and gave himself for us. This is the love of God. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, reach the ideal and I'll love you. He said, I love you. I love you. And that's what I want to do for our churches. I want us to learn to be satisfied and love our churches with all the warts, with all the flaws, with all the failings, with all the ways we could do better. And we're going to strive together. But you know, we're just going to thank God that he has brought us together as a family. And we're going to recognize that we're not ideal. But guess what? The ideal church doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. If your church is in Corinth, love it and fight for it. If your church is in Crete, love it and fight for it. If your church is in Philippi, love it and fight for it. In any church we pastor, there are going to be flaws. Many of them are going to be in the pulpit. The Lord knows that's true. Let go of the ideal. Open your eyes and look at the place God has put you. Fall in love with it. Or not. <laughs> or not. I mean, we can be dissatisfied if we want. We can be critical if we want. We can live in the ideal dream world, but we won't do anyone any good there. And we will be so dissatisfied and so discouraged. Guys, I want to release you from the burden of thinking that you have to be the ideal pastor or pastor the ideal church. It doesn't exist. Every church has flaws. Every church has problems. The ideal is a marketing strategy. We live in a fallen world. There are no perfect burgers and there are no perfect churches. But if you're fortunate, blessed enough to be a pastor, praise God for that. And love the fire out of those people. I don't care how many of them there are. Love the fire out of them. Don't let them feel like they can't earn their pastor's love because they could never be perfect. God, God forgive us for the times when we make people feel like they're less important to God because our churches aren't as big or wealthy or powerful or, or polished. Away with all of that nonsense and recognize ain't none of us ideal. We serve an ideal God, 
and he is growing us. He is changing us, and we are reaching. But I'm never going to pastor an ideal church, and neither are you. And you know what? That's okay with me. Hey, I want to help you. I want to be an encouragement to you. I'd love to know what you think about this episode. Reach out and let me know at email uh, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. Don't forget to go to uh, YouTube and look for The Poor Pastors Podcast. Um, Right now, uh, every Monday, uh, a little 9 to 10 minute drive time chat. And uh, and sometimes I cover topics that I cover on this podcast. Sometimes it's something else, but just 9 to 10 minutes while I'm driving around doing errands every Monday. I look forward to seeing you there. I look forward to hearing from you uh, on the uh, over over email. Thank you for listening. We are growing in our listenership. I don't know exactly who all is listening, and sometimes I get nervous about that. But I'm glad you're listening. And look, if you're a pastor, I don't care whether you're bivocational, full time. I don't care if you have ten people or ten thousand people. God called you to that place, and you are valuable. You are a servant of the Almighty God, and God has given you as a gift to those people. Love them. Serve them. Follow God faithfully. Feed the flock of God which is among you. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll be glad you did. Well, that's it, guys. I'm out. Have a great week. I'll see you next time for another episode right here on This Poor Pastor's Podcast. Have a great day.